Was I asleep or in that early morning haze between consciousness and the land of Nod? Either way, it was now Monday and I had a full agenda for this week, especially at the Grove. This past Saturday had been my birthday, but as Patrice and I had to teach our exercise class at the gym that morning, followed by other assorted errands, we'd planned to celebrate my special day this coming weekend. For us, that meant that the person celebrating their birthday was bestowed the title of king for the day, or queen in Patrice's case. The other person would be slave for the day. For this royal, any wish would be granted. I would probably say that throughout the whole year, this was definitely one day that I eagerly looked forward to. As I lay there, the sun already rising on another beautiful blue sky and sunshine morning in America's finest city, San Diego, I really had a lot to be thankful for. Snuggled up next to me was the love of my life, my gorgeous California blonde Patrice. We'd met 15 years earlier and been married for nine. I honestly would say I was absolutely married to my soulmate. We had a beautiful Cape Cod-style house that was painted yellow and set in six and a half acres, surrounded by 600 orange trees with 360-degree ocean and mountain views of Southern California. Patrice has impeccable tastes, and the interior of this spacious house was beautifully decorated and furnished, while I had all the boys' toys in a carpeted six-car garage. But our crowning achievement was sleeping in a room on the other side of the house, our cherubic little darling, Angelique. It took five years of multiple, intense, and invasive IVF treatments and over $250,000 to finally secure the result we'd battled for. She truly is our angel baby. Once born, our circumstances dictated that I was able to enjoy a lot of time with my daughter, and one special thing that we always did was spend Fridays together to give Patrice a break. We'd go to the gym where I'd teach a class, we'd bond over lunch, and then run errands and get my hair cut. These Fridays always resulted in me coming home with this weary little person following me. Although Angelique was her birth name, one time upon our return, Patrice questioned who this person was trailing behind and eventually came to the conclusion that as she's always with me, this must be Daddy's little chum. And with that, Chummy came into being. For anyone observing our situation, this appeared to be a picture-perfect life of Mommy daddy and chummy in the yellow house. However, in about two weeks we were going to sign the documents to purchase a new smaller and considerably cheaper house on a new housing development being built on the other side of the valley. This was definitely taking a few steps back, but after everything that had happened to us, we couldn't have been happier. The time was right for us to have a fresh start. The events of the last few years had caused me to lie awake many a night and pray for all the madness that was going on to end and for things to change. You know what? That old adage is correct. Be careful what you wish for, as it just might come true. Bang, bang, bang! Somebody was definitely intent on waking the dead at our front door. Who could it be? It's 5.30 in the morning and we lived in a private community. Was it the hand of fate, or someone looking to start their day with a punch in the face? Either way, I was about to answer that call. Although Patrice was stirring, she knew I'd take care of whatever it was, 
and just rolled herself over. In my T-shirt and boxes, I jumped out of bed and exited our bedroom into a hallway that leads to the main part of the house. I proceeded past the kitchen and entered our large open-planned living and dining room to get to the front door. Bang, bang, bang! The pounding continued. How rude! That's it. In five seconds, this visitor is going to be face down on the floor. I unlocked and swing open the door and prepare to kick some ass. As I adjust my eyes to the morning sunshine, I look down on my chest and see three red dots bouncing tightly around my t-shirt. I look up and I'm greeted by three men in bulletproof vests, pointing two assault rifles and a semi-automatic pistol at my body. FBI! Get on the fucking ground! Now! I suppose I was right earlier. I just got the person on the floor wrong. While one agent held my torso down with the obligatory knee to the back of my head, another brought my arms behind me and handcuffed my wrists together. As I was lifted to my knees, the floodgates opened and agents were now streaming in through the front door and splitting up in various but specific directions. Are you Reed Domingo? Yes, I replied. I was bundled into the living room and sat down on the edge of our seven-seat U-shaped couch. We have a warrant to search this property. Before we begin, is there anything you want to make us aware of? No, I stated. Until I knew exactly why the FBI was here, I thought it would be best to say very little. Hang on, was this really happening? I paused for a second then realized, yes it is. From around the corner of the other side of the house comes a handcuffed Morgan, Patrice's 19-year-old eldest son from her first marriage. Bleary-eyed and in his T-shirt and PJ bottoms, he was sat on the other end of the couch. Guarding us as a fully suited-up FBI agent in all black, standing in front of our River Rock fireplace, an MP5 submachine gun across his chest. Shouts of, clear, 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 echo from various areas of the house. I look over at Morgan, who is remarkably still for someone woken up at five o'clock by armed FBI agents. But then again, it takes a lot to get teenagers up to speed these days. Morgan, I say calmly, do you know what's going on? Do you have any videos outstanding from Blockbuster? Uh, uh, no, no, I don't think so, he blurted. I gave him a smile and told him not to worry, that everything was going to be okay, and then to continue to watch all of the activity around me. Where are the guns? I'm asked by the lead FBI agent. We know you have a forty-five and a 9mm. They're in the closet next to the bathroom, I respond. They're in a black case on top of the shelf. They both take off back towards the main bedroom. Damn! They know about the guns, I thought this might not be a good thing. All of a sudden, in the corner of my peripheral vision, a small figure in a purple, one-piece fluffy ensemble, rubbing her eyes and carrying her teddy, comes tootling into the living room entrance. It's chummy. Great job checking all the rooms, Mr. FBI agent. As chummy's coming down two steps to head towards our bedroom, I instinctively jump up to greet her and get her focus. The agent by the fireplace is startled by my move, and with a shout of, Hey! lifts his MP5 towards me. With my hands behind my back, I bend down towards Chummy and greet her with a, Hey, Chummy, and see her sweet little face light up. 
agent fireplace, realizing my little girl is in his direct line of fire, lowers his weapon and calls out to another agent. Jackson! As I'm bending towards Chummy, over her head, I see a female agent come flying out of my bedroom with a pistol drawn and pointed down the corridor towards Chummy and me. We make direct eye contact, and as if by telepathy, she takes a gun and puts it behind her back and continues to walk towards Chummy and myself. Even though there is all this activity going on, Chummy's attention is solely on Daddy. As I bend down and kiss my little darling on the cheek, I explain to Chummy that Daddy has some friends over and we're sorting some stuff out. As the female agent reaches us, I tell Chummy that if she goes with this lady, she'll take her to Mommy. Chummy turns to the female agent and smiles while lifting her hand. The female agent responds with a smile, reaches out reassuringly for Chummy's hand, and I watch as my little girl is led away, Teddy in one hand, while the agent holds her loaded 9mm pistol behind her back. Hey there. Come on with me and let's find your mommy. As they enter the bedroom, I stand upright, turn around and return to my spot at the end of the couch. As I sit back down, Agent Fireplace and I lock eyes. Not a single word was said, but I knew right then that he was a father too. All around there were a total of 15 federal agents. Five agents looking through all the drawers in the living room. Two agents are turning on the computer in the laundry room, while others have gone into the garage to search there. Unlike in the movies, they're not pulling drawers out and tipping our belongings all over the place. Our house always looks immaculate, like something out of a magazine. This isn't some rundown hovel. They're searching thoroughly, but respectfully. There's a lot of activity, but surprisingly, not that much noise. As Morgan and I sit quietly on the couch, the lead agent is having various members of his team come up and whisper in his ear. After one exchange, he comes over to me and says that they can't find the guns. I again repeat where I keep them. He tells me to go with the agent and show them specifically. I get up and walk towards our bedroom, one agent in front and one behind. As I enter the bedroom, Patrice is sitting in the middle of the bed with Angelique on her lap, curled up safe and in her mummy's arms. The female agent and another agent are also in the bedroom. Patrice and I exchange a brief glance. Her look is completely blank obviously in a state of shock. I pass through a set of doors that lead into our ensuite bathroom and stand at the entrance to our walk-in closet. At this point, the lead agent closes the doors connecting the bathroom to the bedroom. With their weapons drawn, I'm told to go slowly into the closet and just indicate exactly where the guns are kept. We enter and I proceed to the section where my clothes are hanging. I nod towards a row of shirts which when slid to the side, reveal a small padded, hard plastic handgun case containing both my fully loaded 45 caliber Sig Sauer and Patrice's 9mm Smith & Wesson. As the agent opens the case to remove and unload the clips from each gun, I feel the barrel of a similar semi-automatic pressing into my side, just to assure me that this would not be the time to try anything stupid. I'm led back out into the living room without saying a word to Patrice. When I sit back on the couch, Morgan is gone. 
He'd been taken back to his room, where I assume he was being interviewed separately. An agent takes the black handgun case and goes outside to one of five vehicles now parked on the driveway. Even though playing host to the FBI isn't my usual routine after waking up, going to the toilet is. I ask if I may go to the restroom. As I'm led towards Chummy's bathroom, an agent enters first and quickly rifles through the drawers and cupboards to make sure that there aren't any sharp tools, scissors or any other potential weapons available. As there's a sealed window above the shower, the bathroom door is the only way into or out of the room. You need to take a piss, I'm asked. No, I respond. I need to have a crap. Whether it's respect for a little privacy or not wanting to be a part of another man's bowel movements, the agent agreed to close the door and stand outside. However, as my right hand was released from the handcuffs, my left was now connected to the ring of a towel rail. Sitting there, one could believe that this really wasn't happening. The quiet, cosy and inviting surroundings with a delicate perfume of potpourri were typical of Patrice. It was immaculately presented. The twin sinks and surrounding tile work were spotless. The counter space was completely cleared and the mirrors, light fittings and chrome were sparkling. All the towels were folded just so and every item orientated exactly where it should be. OCD, anyone? David Beckham keeps house like cat weasel compared to Patrice. Back to the business at hand. It's hard enough for me to go to the bathroom ordinarily, knowing we have a guest in our house, let alone when 15 federal agents are turning my home inside out just on the other side of a two-inch thick door. I was definitely going to have to learn to adapt to my environment. With that bathroom break over, I was sat back on the couch. There was a hive of activity going on around me. As the search warrant was being executed, cereal, toast and tea was being taken into the main bedroom. There was now a lot of whispering into the lead agent's ear, and they had taken various photographs out of our photo albums and put them into separate plastic bags and marked them accordingly. A specific reversible jacket was brought out along with one of Patrice's motorcycle helmets. The items were tagged and taken out to one of the vans. Time seemed to just fly by, as the next thing I see is Morgan coming from his bedroom, fully dressed and ready to go to work. He had a job as a sales assistant in a large department store. He goes into our bedroom and comes out holding Chummy's hand. She too is dressed, and Morgan is going to drop her off at her usual daycare on his way to work. I'm allowed to say goodbye to her, and as I bend down to kiss her, she puts her arms around my neck and gives me one of those special hugs and tells me she loves me. I tell her to have a fun day and thank Morgan for dropping her off. It's amazing how well Chummy is handling this. I suppose it's a case of reacting to our behaviour. Although there's a lot of unfamiliar people all over the house, everyone is focused and carrying out their tasks in a calm manner. There's no shouting or commotion. Maybe she thinks Mummy and Daddy are having some work done at the house and everyone is just here to help. I still haven't gotten to talk to Patrice. I'm asked to accompany the lead agent and his second-in-command into one of the spare bedrooms where they bring in one of the dining room chairs with curved arms. I'm seated in the middle of the room and have each hand handcuffed to one of the arms of the chair. At this point, here come the formal introductions. Let's just call them Special Agents Smith and Jones. 
Special Agent in Charge Smith asked me, Do you know why we're here? Not wishing to spoil a good surprise, I obviously respond in the negative. But I have a strong feeling this isn't going to be an episode of This Is Your Life. We're here to talk about the bank robberies, Agent Smith informs me. We look each other square in the eyes, and at that moment, the mist clears. We both know that we both know what time it is. Without responding to Agent Smith's last statement, I ask him if I can ask one question. Am I going with you guys today? To which he responds, this time they're just carrying out the search warrant and they haven't decided yet. <laughs> I laughed and asked them if they really expected me to believe that they'd go to all this trouble today to potentially leave here empty-handed and allow me to go about my way. All three of us share a smile and Agent Smith proceeds to read out a warrant for my arrest. You have the right to remain silent, but anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be provided for you. Do you understand these rights I've just read to you? And with these rights in mind, is there anything you wish to say? Yes, I do understand my rights, and no. If that's the reason why they're here, I state that it would be in my best interest to retain legal counsel before making any form of statement. They unlock me from the chair and I'm led to the other side of the house so I can get some clothes on. As I go past the kitchen, there's Patrice, putting those breakfast dishes into the dishwasher and then wiping down the countertops. Even though the FBI is here to arrest your husband for bank robbery, who else is going to clean the kitchen and tidy up? With an agent accompanying me, I pick out a pair of gym pants and a clean t-shirt. I brush my teeth, splash my face, throw some gel in my hair, and I'm ready to go. As I stand there in the living room, I see various plastic and paper bags being carted outside. I look over to Patrice. She breaks a bewildered smile at me, and I can see that she's been crying, still in a state of disbelief. As we stand there looking at each other, an agent comes in through the front door, carrying the black handgun case with the two semi-automatics. He informs Agent Smith that everything checks out and then proceeds to do something that to this day has struck me as absolutely strange. He gave the guns to Patrice. She clicks the case shut and places it on the kitchen counter. If they're not taking the guns as evidence, then they don't think they're involved in the commission of a crime. Hmm, maybe things aren't as bad as they seem. Are you wearing any expensive watches or jewellery or anything like that? No on the watch, but I do have a single gold earring and my wedding band. As my hands are cuffed and Patrice has long, beautifully manicured fingernails, the female agent removes the earring, and as the band contains seven solitaire diamonds, it exceeds the $100 limit for where I'm going, so it too must remain behind. The female agent reaches towards my left hand, but I stop her. It was Patrice who put it on me originally, and it now seems fitting that she is also the one who takes it off. Maybe there was something ironically prophetic about these momentary events. As many of the agents were now leaving, I knew that this meant that I'd be leaving too. I was allowed one last embrace with Patrice. As I stand there handcuffed, Patrice, with tears in her eyes, holds me tightly, but I cannot reciprocate. With one final kiss, we stand there in silence, the center of everyone's attention. I whisper into her ear, 
I love you, sweetheart, and everything is true. Those were, as things transpired, the last words that I was going to say to my wife as we stood there in our home. All right, let's get him in the car. I felt a firm grip on my arm separating us and now being directed towards the front door. As we step out into the warm June morning, I squint at the bright sunshine, as normally I never go out without the ubiquitous sunglasses. Even though it's now only about 8.30 a.m., I already know today is going to be a hot one. Most of the cars and trucks were turning on the driveway, and I'm placed in the back of a generic, unmarked, government-issued Chevy. I'm even buckled in. How kind of them to care about my safety. Or maybe these fishermen don't want their prized catch inadvertently jumping out of the net. As we circle the driveway to leave, I can see Patrice standing at the kitchen window. Her face is pale and her red, swollen eyes paint a haunting picture. I can't begin to imagine what is going through her mind. We weren't just husband and wife. We were best friends and soulmates. We had great communication and told each other everything. But this was one thing I could never have told her. In all honesty, it would have been easier to tell her that I'd had an affair with her best friend. Either way, the result was the same. I'd broken her heart. Never take anything for granted. The carpet of life had truly been pulled from right under our feet. We were up in the air right now and had no idea when we'd hit the ground. Up until this point, I think I still believed that this was a negotiable situation. I should be able to give a little explanation, say I'm sorry, I won't do it again, and, and let's get together later to sort out the specifics. In some way, I did feel kind of relieved that this terrible secret I'd been holding inside could now be lifted from me. But in its place was put the fear of the unknown and of what would happen next. As we drove away, I had no idea that my life was never going to be the same again. The only thing I knew for sure was that we'd probably have to postpone my birthday celebrations for a little while. No, just shock, disbelief. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. No, mm -mm, no, that's crazy stuff. That's ridiculous. No, absolutely no. No, no, mm -mm, no. And when they were telling me, I was like, no, I, you're mistaken. You're mistaken. And when he left, right before he walked out the door, and then he whispered in my ear, I did it. And I was like, what? And they walked off and they just drove away. And then I talked to his friend right away that was in the police force. And he goes, unfortunately, this is going to be huge. He goes, you got to take, you know, your daughter and your son and you got to flee. Got to get out of that house right away. My name is Reed Domingo and I robbed 12 banks in San Diego, California. I didn't hurt anyone, I never wanted to. I did it all for love and to pay for the devastating debts racked up from the costs of IVF needed for my wife and I to start a family. <laughs> 